What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos currently ages 10 to 17 and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So, yep, I'm in the thick of it and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Michael Davis, and I don't even know what to say. My mind is blown. Dads, you will feel the weight of power, authority, and opportunity you have as a man, as a father, at the end of this conversation. Please get 15, 20, 30 minutes in. There are nuggets that Michael drops that are literally gonna change the way that I live my life, change the way that I speak to and raise my children, and will have massive impact on my family 500 years from now. I can't stress how serious I am about this. Enjoy meeting my friend and mentor, Michael Davis. Michael Davis, we've been talking about doing this for a while. Welcome to the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. How are you? Excellent. Thank you, mate. I'm looking forward to uh, being on your show. Yeah, man. Let's talk some fatherhood. So before I get started, a few rando questions for you. How old do you find yourself today? How old do I find myself? As in my real age or how am I feeling? However you want to answer the question. Oh, I'm, I'm 47, mate. Four seven and feeling good. I'm feeling about three seven. So good. I love it. Not long may that continue. Okay. How many years you've been married? I have been married twenty seven years. Dude, amazing. Amazing. Thank you. That's good. And how many kiddos do you guys have? So we have seven, seven boys from twenty one <laughs> twenty one down to five. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. Handsome boys, handsome boys for sure. Where does your family live? We just moved back from England to the sort of Sacramento, Northern California, Sacramento area. We're just outside Sacramento in a little sort of an old farming town of Loomis, Loomis, California. Beautiful. I love and hate this question, but just in a couple sentences, what is it that you do for a living? I'm in manufacturing and we manufacture chemical admixtures, sealants, coatings for concrete, water and vapor proof concrete. Okay. That's been a family business for a while? Yeah, it was a business that my granddad on my mum's side started in 1975. So the year I was born, that's been going for 48 years and it will be 50 years old in 2025. Mm, that's awesome. And then some of your boys are working with you in it as well? Yeah. Yeah. I've sort of recruited my two, three eldest boys to get involved. And my plan is for all of them to find a place for all of them. We've got a unique business where we've got various roles. My eldest son is not super academia guy. He's more hands-on tactile, you know, kinesthetic dude. And so he's fantastic for being out in manufacturing and more on the construction side of things. And then I've got other sons that are more geared towards marketing and one, one that will probably run the company one day. So, you know, you got different aces in their places, so to speak. Yeah, dig it, dig it. Well, man, before I get into some questions deeper about fatherhood, I just feel like I have to at least make mention of the connection that you and I have. 
It's not like you were just referred to me and we're jumping on here to talk fatherhood. We've known each other for about 10 years. You and I just spent a week together in Colorado with a group of other dudes. And just to kind of bring people into that connection, I'm actually looking at a picture on my wall here. I'm sitting right next to you with, I don't know, there's maybe 20 guys at this event in Breckenridge and I'm sitting right uh, next to you in between you and Josh Weir. And I had made this comment to you during the time that I had kind of looked at you as an older brother in the sense of you've been so loving and kind to me over the past 10 years. I haven't always known why. There's no motivation there, but you have affirmed my identity at times as a man, as a husband, as a father. And so there's just this connection I have with you, a deep gratitude and appreciation. So thank you for being an inspiration and for falling into a role like that for me. Yeah, my pleasure, mate. It's been an honor to do that. And again, it's just me being me. I'm not trying to make something happen, but I'm allowing things to happen. And yeah, 100%, it's, it's your quality individual and you know, it's exciting to be a friend, really, more than anything. Man, I think just those things, if people could walk around as a man, walk around with that attitude is I'm not trying to make something happen, but I'm available for things to happen. And I'm just trying to be a friend to people. I mean, already, you said you run a company, and you've got seven boys, and you're married, that's like so much already. But to create space in your life to be available for others is is awesome. I've got a few specific questions, and then I want to jump into some things that might take us down some rabbit trails. But my first specific question is, you've been a dad, you said your oldest is 21, is that right? Yeah, 21. So you've been a dad for 21 years. What have you learned about yourself? So at some point, you know, you've had lots of phases, you've been in lots of different phases as a dad. What has being a dad revealed to you about you? First of all, being a father, it's the best hat I get to wear, you know, I feel. I mean, you got a lot of hats. Running a company, I have a ministry, I'm a husband, son, nephew, all these different various roles. But being the father, that is the best. So very grateful, you know, to the Lord for giving me seven boys to understand this role in a greater measure. Obviously, you, you learn a lot about yourself being a dad because of the things that just would never have come out of you had you not been a father. And a lot of them aren't great, to be fair. You learn how angry you are when you first start to parent, how little patience I had. I didn't know how to be love to my boys. I once went to hear John Eldridge speak on the Wild at Heart, and my wife and I went to hear him speak live at a little church. I think it was like Modesto or something like this in California. And he basically said, look, your eldest child is guaranteed to be in therapy. Like, <laughs> you just don't have a manual for raising children. And so you're going to hurt the first one, and not even intentionally, but so many triggered responses come out when you're trying to parent. And then you find out how much you really do need to grow in the nature of what I would call the nature of God. It's a gift from God for you to have children so that you can find out how little of God you have in you and how much you can grow in that nature. Mm, beautiful, bro. Okay, so I'm actually going to skip a question and maybe come back to it. I've never asked this before, but in knowing I was meeting with you, I wanted to ask this. What is this revealed to you, fatherhood? What is it revealed to you about God? There's so much that's revealed to us. I feel like once we become a father, we start to understand him in a different light. So in thinking about that, what has been revealed to you in your understanding about God, and his character? 
I think when you have children, there's almost nothing you wouldn't do for your child. Now, I coach competitive soccer. I recruit every parent to do something on the team. And they're so willing to do it because it's their sons involved. What would you not do for your child? You know, there's nothing that you wouldn't do for your child. And so I think that was a big eye opener for me. Like, wow, God, there's nothing God wouldn't want to do for me. I mean, I'm his son. And so the same way I feel about them, how much more so? So it says in the Bible, how much more so does he desire to do good things for us? I mean, a hundred times more than we can. I mean, that's impressive, just how loving and how much he desires to bless us. So interesting because like you're saying this statement, and I believe it to be true, but why would you say a lot of men in particular, because I think men struggle with identity and look at our world, our world is in desperate need of leaders. If you profess Christianity and you follow that path, and that's true that God loves you, I mean, infinitely more than you even love your child, which is hard to imagine. Why aren't more people operating in that? Or how can more men embrace it? Like, if a, let me make this simple. If a dude's listening to this right now and go like, yeah, like I believe that, but I'm not operating as a child that has a dad who loves him a lot. So you have to be honest with yourself that, look... I've got some serious character flaws here. Not easy to do, but very rewarding when you get real with yourself. And when you realize that you are up to the task, it's just a matter of identifying the areas with which, you know, you're not presently being a proper dad. And it's okay. There's no shame in that. It's just a matter of going, okay, why? That was the questions I had. God, why am I being so short with the boys in this instance? Why am I responding in this way? Why am I not being loving at this moment in time? A lot of it due to stress, due to triggered responses from ways I was treated when I was growing up. It's a lot of baggage, you know? I mean, a lot of this baggage comes from probably pre-seven years old that ends up showing up when you're trying to raise your own children. It's a great, it's such a great opportunity to be, to unpack all the crap that you've carried that you didn't know was there. It's on show when you start raising children. I think men have to be get healed in that area, you know, in their hearts in a very deep and real way. When Once you're healed in that area, and it's, you're no longer, I'm so much more patient now. I mean, the younger guys are definitely getting the better version of me than the older boys got. But I've just been to a one-week father-son retreat up at JH Ranch, Northern California, with my 19-year-old. We're still unpacking stuff. So that was that was a world-class event. But do you know what? The letter that he wrote me at the end of the week was just, I just wondered. There was a time when he publicly just said, when I did a rite of passage program for him when he was 13, he was receiving his sword and he got up and said, I just, he just thought, felt like I was the best dad in the world. From 13 to 19, my biggest question going up there with him was, does he still feel that way about me? Still feel like I'm the greatest dad that he knows and hundred percent. He just so put the exclamation point on with writing this letter to me. I was just a wow, mess reading it because at 19, boys start to get a little bit baggage themselves and they're not exactly maybe the most honoring. And But he was like, no, dad, you're the man. Like if I could be like you, if I could be like you, I'll feel like I've won. What a gift. That's the best touchdown. Dude, I love that. I love that. Okay. Something you said in there about learning about yourself. I have been leaning into this idea that 
our kids aren't given to us just so that I can teach them how to live well in society. It's a huge opportunity for me to grow. Like I feel like, call it 50-50, but God gave me kids half so that I can learn to be the man I'm supposed to be. I don't know. Like when I was a kid, I sort of felt at times that my parents like had it all figured out. And with my kids, a lot of times I'm like, dude, I don't have it all figured out. Like you're my first kid or you're my first son or you're my only son. I'm doing this as we go. Let's have a conversation around this. I'm learning alongside with you. And so what are your thoughts about that? Your kids aren't just for you to teach them, but they're really there to reveal so much about how God sees you as well. Yeah, I mean, look, again, one of the biggest things is you start to realize how much you're loved by him. That is massive. Because when you have a child, as you know, you didn't know you could love someone that deep. You can love your wife in a certain particular way, and it's very rich. But then you have a child, it's just like, what is this? Different compartment of your heart opens up. Then you have multiple children. You just realize your capacity only grows. How can I love the next one as much as I love this one? And then you realize, wow, 100%, you love them as much, just different. With that experience, I think you've realized just how much you're loved. And let's be honest, your ability to receive love is what forms you to become who you, what I believe, already were before you came. I mean, that that love is the very thing that reveals my truest identity, my authentic self. If you were to define love, what would you say love is? I mean, I would define it straight out of First Corinthians 13. You know, love is patient, it's kind, doesn't keep record of wrong. Every adjective that First Corinthians 13 uses is what I would use. That's the best definition of love. But I think patience and kindness, if you wanted to kind of define it super quick and easy for a little one to understand, patience and kindness. That's how it is demonstrated, I find, most often in day-to-day living. Man, that's so simple. And I think if we were to apply that to almost every situation throughout the day, if I had patience, it's not about my agenda. And if I'm kind, it's not so much about how this situation is like always thinking, how does this impact Ned? How does this impact Ned? So if we could take patience and kindness as far as the action points throughout our day, that is operating in love. So dude, I'll share something with you. Ever since that retreat we went to in Breckenridge, I've actually read 1 Corinthians 13 every single morning since then as part of like a kind of like a little morning ritual. And what's funny is this morning I woke up and I actually sent it out in a text that I send out to men every Wednesday morning. But this morning I woke up like the last few days, I feel like I've been feeling more love towards those in my care. And what I've been doing is reading it out loud. So not just reading it silently, but sitting outside with my coffee or whatever, and like reading it out loud one time through. And I feel like I'm starting to notice the benefits. It's been about, I don't know, 25, 30 days since we were all together. But interesting. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, another thing I would tell the boys, you know, little guys don't necessarily understand these words, but patience is waiting. And we always tell them it's the waiting with a happy spirit. You get to wait with a happy spirit rather than be anxious. I mean, look, if you're anxious for anything, God says he's anxious for nothing. And he says, be anxious for nothing. If you're anxious for something, there's probably a lack of love in there somewhere. Because in love, you got your patient. You can wait with a happy spirit, irrespective of the circumstance at hand. What a gift. You have that in you. It really doesn't matter what's going on around you. You're going to respond in the same way every time, which is patience, patient, kindness. That is just too legit. 
So you use anxious as an opposite to patience. What would you use as an opposite to kindness? If you're not kind, you're kind of mean-spirited, I, I would say, is the opposite of kindness. And hurting people hurt people. That's the bottom line. And so with our children, if they respond with any type of mean-spiritedness, which they do from time to time, of course, they're human, but we want to get to the root of why are you responding that way? Where have you been hurt before that's causing you to now respond in a mean-spirited way to your brother, you know, to a friend, to your parents or whatever? Yeah. As I'm writing some notes down, I'm just thinking about a dad who's listening to this right now and going, it's pretty easy to go, hey, dad, are you anxious? Are you walking around anxious and stressed? If so, then you're missing your opportunity to operate out of love, which is patient. So it's a skill. You got to train it. And I think if they hear the word mean, they might go, oh, I'm not mean. But let me ask you this, dudes. Are you harsh with your wife or your kids? Do you find yourself harsh with them? Like quick and reactive. And I think that that is mean. Their perception could be that you are mean, but you might just be like, ah, this is just the reality because you're factual, cut and dry. So if you can walk away from that harshness and think about the tenderness of your wife's heart and the tenderness of your children, even your son and daughters, and operate from a place of kindness, then you're choosing to operate out of love. And I think that's your opportunity. I kind of like place myself as that 85-year-old man looking at myself in the mirror. Am I proud of the man I see? And it comes down to, did I take actions each and every day up until that point that were loving, that provided a characteristic of love? Okay, I got a couple questions for you with having seven boys. When you think about your boys moving out and going off into the world, what are a few things that you want them to know? So you go, okay, I've got these boys that are living under my roof for a certain amount of time. When they walk out of my home, here's a couple things that I really want them to know and take into their future. Well, for one thing, I'm very much an outsider when it comes to this mentality, but I haven't raised my boys to ever think that they're leaving me. They don't think that they're meant to be prepared and have it all together and leave at 18. And for me, that's not a sustainable, good plan for multi-generational blessing. I'm raising my boys to be around me all the days. If I look at it in the Bible, when Abraham was 100 and he's with Isaac and Jacob and all this, it's like, dude's still calling the shots at 100 and they're honoring. I mean, they really genuinely like, let's go find out what dad has to say or in this kid, granddad or he's running the tribe, you know, and he's he's a patriarch and he's well honored, but it's earned. It's not as if they have to do it. They don't have to honor Abraham. They get to honor Abraham because they know he's the man. So for me, I've been after this for a long time. I just got back from this father-son retreat. Every guy in the group, they said, hey, what is your aim or goal? They're all building a, and they had to kind of put it in an image. And in this image, every one of them were put an image of a big house with all these little houses around them. They're going, this is what I aim for, to have my family living around me. Do they have their own space? 100%. But they're around me, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I just thought it was interesting that every dad's heart were going, that's a dream. Just going, that is a dream. But it's the way it was for thousands of years up until about 150 years ago with the Industrial Revolution. Kids were on the farm. It could be 50 on the farm when granddad's 80. Everyone's grown up together and it's not abnormal. It's only in this last hundred years it's gotten a little weird. And if we look at the breakdown of society, I really think it's because the lack of granddad's wisdom around the camp. You got granddad's the super dad. You want a super dad? You want a super OG dad? Go look up a granddad who's lived life well. If you don't have that input 
around the camp, you could be an okay dad, but you ain't going to be a super dad because the super dads learn how to honor the OG dads. So I want to become an OG dad. And I mean, I'm looking forward more to me being a granddad than I am a dad even. Really looking forward to being a granddad because you get the chance to coach your dads or your sons through that time that we just talked about, all the clangers that you drop in, all the bonehead reactions that you're having towards children hurting them. You know, imagine a granddad that's in the camp that just knows how to love his son well, coach him through those moments where he's not doing them day after day, but he pulls him aside in love and just says, hey, son, I just observed the way you dealt with Colin in that situation. Would you be open for me to just share in some different ways that you might be able to tackle that situation to get that kind of input on the fly? But unfortunately, in this day and age, you got granddad who lives in Florida, you're living in California, your kids are now off to university in Arizona. It's just, how's that going to happen? I'm not suggesting that's wrong because a lot of people are in that situation. I'm not judging their situation. I just know the situation I'd like to have and I'm moving in that direction. So it's a very different approach, I know, and I'm okay with that. But my aim is to keep them around. I went to Lisa home one time from a gentleman who is from Israel and his family go back three, 400 years in Israel. And, you know, when I went to meet him in his business place of work, he introduced me to his five sons all working for him. They're all in their thirties. I'm meeting all these guys. They're happy. They're not begrudgingly being there. They're just excited about life being around their brothers every day. They're just having a great, great time at work every day, having a laugh, you know, enjoying, having joy. They're just so happy to be around dad and brothers. And I just go, this is amazing. I was like, all five of your boys work with you in the business? Oh, yeah. He goes, they all live with me. I go, they live with you? He's like, I have a 20,000 square foot home. This son here, he's married. He has two children. They live in that 2,500 square feet over there. And he just described this thing. He's got five sons, a daughter. They all live with him, 26 grandkids. He says, we have dinner together every night. You know, it wasn't abnormal. It wasn't weird. That's just how life should be done. When I got that picture, I go, is this even legal? I'm like, this is awesome. (laughs) uh, Yes, please. So again, to look at that as weird just means that you're a product of this last hundred years of living. Yes. But you're you're not really in tune to the last few thousand years. Dude, that is the challenge right there. Like, I love the thought, is this even legal? Because we have been so accustomed to like the way things are. It's like looking at you and a few other men who are ahead of me in this and thinking about this multi-generational worldview of life. And what does that look like? You know, I've got four daughters and a son. And even as you're talking about this, I'm like, am I currently building a business where I would have a place for my four daughters, husbands and or my daughters? I'm not saying it has to be like men are the ones who work. But am I even building a business with that in mind right now? Am I thinking about 10 years, 20 years from now? Or am I just thinking about how can I get this next sale so I can trade in my Prius for a Porsche or whatever, right? And I think that's kind of this mindset that we come into where it's like, how soon can I retire? But what the hell am I going to do if I were to just retire and play golf every day? I'm going to get bored out of my mind pretty quickly. And so I think once you say some of these things, Michael, I don't know about everyone else listening, but for me, there's something stirred inside of me. It's a little frightening, actually, because I haven't probably put enough effort and time into it. Because also, I think my kids have been grown up in this world where they have this view of like, I'm going to move out and I'm going to go do something out into the world. Like that's what they've been shown is the way. And not that they still can't do that, but 
how are we as fathers, and I love what you said here, if we want to be honored, okay, we have to earn the right to have influence in their lives. How are we building towards that vision for our family now? I love it. I mean, you're doing it. So I think this new vision for your family, like what is the vision for your family beyond the 20 years, like they live with me for 20 years. And then, so here's pretty cool. I started writing this out for you in my fatherhood journal. Like a thing I do with dads a lot is I have them write out the influence they'll have at like 85, 90 years old as a granddad, a great granddad. If you were to take seven sons and then now there's seven marriages. And now if they each have say four kids is the average, and then they each have four kids, your influence at age 75, 80, 85 is enormous. If you've earned the right to speak into them and not just, oh, yeah, that's grand. One, did you take care of your body and take care of yourself to the best of your ability to be able to show up and even have an influence? Right. And then did you invest in your kids in a way where they want to hear what you have to say? The great grandkids want to hear what you have to say. Dude, this is fatherhood, man. This is what fatherhood is about is thinking multi-generational, thinking beyond just how am I showing up for my kid today? We're talking, what does your hundred year plan look like? As I say this, what are some other thoughts that come to your mind? What are things that you're thinking about or doing to help build this out, to help give guys some more vision around this? We're being super intentional about looking for big properties, like massive amounts of acreage so that something like this can become a reality. It's kind of important. We're just at that point where the eldest two are getting into relationships. Fortunately for us, our boys didn't really start dating till about 19. And that was mainly because they just weren't that needy for a relationship, which is healthy. <laughs> okay, hang on. Let's just pause right there. I think dads need to hear this because you're not talking about we set a standard. You can't date till you're 17, 18, 19. You just said my kids weren't that needy. Talk to me about that for a second. Give me your perspective. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it just means that they're complete without the girlfriend. They're not looking for the girlfriend to complete them. They're complete because we say they're complete and they feel that. And for us, as we're Christ followers. There's a measure of not just a measure, but really the ultimate completeness comes from their connection with God. And so they understand that. And it's been framed up in a way that it makes sense to them. They don't need a girlfriend to complete them. Okay, so dude, Michael, father to me means creator. And you and I, we create life in our kids with our words and actions. And this statement that you said, they are complete because we say they are complete. That sentence right there is so freaking powerful. You as a father, dads, you got to hear this. Listen to what Michael said, because I know that you may struggle with identity and that's okay. Like work on that. But you have the authority to tell your kid, you and your spouse, if you're married, that your child is complete because you say they are. You have that power to speak into them. Dude, they're not needy. If you meet the needs of your kids and show them who they are, then they aren't like everybody else. And that's something I've been talking to my kids about is like, we're not like everybody else and not better than, but we're not pursuing the same things as everybody else. Yeah, that's right. They say dads essentially give the identity to the child and then the mothers affirm it. The reason why so many children have identity crisis, A, I really feel like the whole movement right now where people are confused about their sexual identity, I'd really like to see some statistics on how many of those come from a home where father's not present, either emotionally or physically present. But I have a sneaking suspicion it's high levels of children who 
don't have father telling them who they are because that voice does carry a certain amount of weight. And then mothers affirm what the dads, you know, said. So the dad's giving them the identity, the mother's coming alongside and affirming them. And not just sexual identity, this is identity is, it's the same thing about a father helping a son find his bent. That is something that's scriptural. We're meant to help them. This whole idea of like, well, what do you want to do in college? And they're supposed to come up with that idea. It's like, are you having a laugh? Like they don't know shite from Shinola about what they want to be. I mean, this is the whole point of how is someone supposed to know who they are on a sexual level when they don't even know what they want to do when they grow up. 40-year-olds don't even know what they want to do when they grow up, let alone an 18-year-old. But a father really should be the one who's at least been observant enough to know. My son, who I I know is going to smash it in marketing, when he was five years old, he was running around with one of our phones recording people. Oh, check this out. Look at Ashton over here. He's about to jump into the pool and da-da-da-da. And he runs over the across the, uh, the room and he's filming someone else and he's doing all the commentating along with it. And I've gone to this, this dude's going to be really good with multimedia and marketing. And he just put some videos together recently of him and his brothers and cousins at the gym and on his own, he just went and edited this thing down. Like, where did you get that? How did you make that video? You know, the, the sound effects, the intro, the editing. You know, I just got this editing tool. I just tinkered around with it. It was, it was world class, you know. They give you hints as to what the gifts are. Again, if someone's in an element, you got to help your son or daughter find their element. But the element is where the passions are meeting their giftings and they're intersecting. So when look, he's passionate about this, his gifts are to say he's this. Can we find something where these two intersect? And that's helping them find their bent. Probably the best thing somebody can do is just hire someone to do an aptitude for children before they go off to university. Instead, you're spending 200 grand at a university on a degree they're never going to use. I love what Jordan Peterson's doing, by the way. The guy's looking to start an online university. It'll be accredited university for four grand, four year accredited they do aptitude test on the way out the door he brings the right instructors in four thousand dollars you know it's like it should totally upend the whole university system that's about right value for money right there in my opinion it shouldn't be a penny more than that based on what they're picking up and learning i love it right now things that are going on in my mind is okay i have a senior a daughter who's a senior So this came up at the retreat we were at too, but doing some aptitude tests for her throughout this year as she's making some decisions about what she wants to do. And then wrestling with, for her, this dream she's had her whole life of like what high school would look like and what college would look like based on the movies she watched essentially. And now it's been pretty good because it's been opening up conversations. You know, we just changed what my twins are going to do both for high school. We just changed it this last week because now we're having conversations about, okay, well, this is where we see you. And where do you see yourself? And so we just shifted their schools and everything. So having these conversations with your kids is is powerful. Man, Michael, we could talk forever. If I could add one thing about, you know, like you have daughters. I don't have daughters. But what I wish, what I'm looking for, and I don't know if I'm going to find it. Look, I'm raising my sons to be spiritual leaders, boundary setters, proven providers, they really can't really talk to me about relationship unless they've ticked them boxes. It's like, who decides Who decides who's ready for marriage? For me, it's the father of the son. So the father, me, I'm the one who determines he's not ready. This isn't, you know, if a girl's interested and the parents are getting excited, 
He's not ready. He hasn't proven himself in these areas. But for me, I'm raising my son to be a proven provider. Where are the girls who have been raised to be world-class homemakers for my sons? Where are the girls who know how to bless the spirit of a baby when she conceives? Where are the girls who know how to make world-class meals for the husbands when they get home and they've done the, the heavy graft? Where are the girls who have been taught about intimacy and how to please their husband in that dimension of the world. It's like, hey, if we're going to do this heavy lifting on our end with the boys, we are looking for some girls who are raised. Because the very one thing that we know about women is they have an innate desire to have children. They go off, they get this big old degree, they come home, they're like, I want to have kids. It's in them. The most important thing, I don't care if you ask one of the you know wealthiest CEOs in the world, what's your greatest accomplishment? Probably my children. And how much time did you spend learning about your children before they came? How much you spent a lot of time learning about how to have an MBA in marketing, but how much time did you spend learning about how to raise a child from zero to seven? You know, I mean, the whole system for me that is a little bit backwards. I'm going to sound a little bit old school to some people, but and I don't, but I don't really care. I just call it as I see it, and I just see the thing backwards. You send a kid off to go get an MBA in college. They don't even have faith, hope, and love, which in the Bible, it says those three are the ones that remain. So, okay, they can figure out a calculus equation, but they don't have enough faith, hope, and love to get through 90% of life's challenges. I just think we've got the whole thing backwards, and I would love it if we just all just took a time out and said, hang on a minute, because this is a great time on the earth to look at transformational shift, a little bit of a renaissance period of getting back to what's really important rather than the world has framed up is meant to be important. Dude, my mind is going a million miles an hour. We don't have time to unpack the homemaker, but it is funny. We were having this conversation around the dinner table last night with, because my wife is, she, she stays home. She has stayed home since she was pregnant with Brooklyn. So it's been, you know, 17 years, but she's still like, see, it's funny. She's still like a go-getter. Like there's something in me saying like she's not a total freaking badass because she stays at home. It's insane the level that we discredit that. But I love this quote, so I'll bring this up, but I do want to ask you a question about, we can focus on the sons for a minute. C.S. Lewis says this quote, he says, the homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that's to support the ultimate career. Send that to me. Dude, it's... That just proves my point. (laughs) Bro. Yeah. Then this is a dude who is like atheist or whatever he was. And then through his search realized, okay, there is only one answer. So let me ask you this for men right now who are listening to this and they have sons, what are the things that they should be talking about their sons now? So that when their son's 22, 25, it's not like, Hey son, you need my approval to get married. The son, we want to raise them up from the moment that we're handed them to know like, Hey dad, am I ready to go get married? In a sense, like if you start to do that now and they're young, then he's going to be looking to you to go, Hey dad, am I ready for this? So with that, you said boundaries. Tell me what those things were again, that a father should start working with his son on. Yeah. Our friend Greg Gunn is a big proponent of as well. But one is they are spiritual leader. We're all spirits with a soul in a body and we love them all but a lot of people focus on the body and, and or they focus on the mind will and emotions but they don't spend a lot of time focusing on their spirit that's the sage of the three minds there so the spiritual leader their boundary setters the ones that set the boundaries not the wife when i got married to linda she was the boundary setter not me it was sad it was just like i just went to bed whenever i thought it was time to go to bed and but she was far wiser than i was 
primarily due to the way she was raised. Her family just had better boundaries on their lives than my family did. But it shouldn't be that way. The sons need to learn how to set boundaries. They need to be proven providers. What I did with the boys, if you're asking about what do you guys do in advance of their kids being ready for marriage, a lot of it is we let them know, Linda and I both let them know that, hey, look, here's what we expect in who you marry. And I mean, I mean, this will be really old school, but let's be honest, the arranged marriages have a higher success rate than these other marriages. I think there's a reason for it. These people are concerned about who they're getting married to because you're really marrying families. You know, you're not just marrying a person, you're marrying their family as well. And so the people who have spent, you know, if you, if you care about your child, you would think you'd like to make sure that they are going to spend the rest of their life with the right person. We just up at JH Ranch, they said, listen, whatever you do, never let your child marry a Christian. Only let them marry a godly person. And there's a big difference between the two. They unpack what a godly person is. And a godly person is someone who abides with God on the daily. They understand what that looks like. They understand what that means. So there's just, there's all kinds of, but I think the most important thing, our sons grew up with the understanding that we would be heavily involved in who they were going to be marrying. When that person arrives, just know that we will be taking their parents out for multiple meals, getting to know them. It's one step removed from the old Spanish Inquisition, you know what I mean? It's like really having a deep desire to understand what our sons are getting themselves into, because things can look rather great at the surface. But what ends up happening, though, and same thing, J.H. Ranch, kids end up getting married. They marry someone for their personality, but what they get is their character after they get married. You're meant to be marrying for character, not for personality. So this is very important. That's essentially what we've kind of lined the boys up with is like, look, the character is going to be the most important thing of all. So we need to understand, is there some godly character there? just so that you guys are avoiding a bunch of headaches. And what's sweet is they trust us. So it's not like they're like, oh, whatever, dad. No, they understand like, no. And we use, we've used examples along the way. Hey, do you see, it could be a family member in the family that's a bit of a shit show. Have you seen what their life is looking like? How do you like that? Is that something that you want? Or do you like this family over here? And it's very easy that way for them to get a picture. It's like, I'd rather have that family. Well, let me tell you about what that family does that's different from what this family's done. That's a great, easy hack to teach your kids. Like, let's take a family that's very functional, thriving, multi-generations. The grandkids are thriving. The kids are thriving. The marriages are intact versus this little, you know, circus over here. And it doesn't take much when you describe two different families. <laughs> Michael... Dude, so many notes, so many nuggets. Um, we will have to do this again. We're going to be taking their parents out for multiple meals. It's like, okay, where's the framework for all this? Where where are you getting all this from? Like, I want more. I want more. But I want to honor your time. Dude, thank you for your time today. Thank you for this conversation. And I'm sure we'll have more of them. Dude, any last thoughts before we end this? No, just to those that do tune in, I mean, look, you wouldn't have been given the honor and the opportunity to have children if God didn't see you as being fit for purpose. Anyone listening already is fit for purpose. They have what it takes to be a good parent. They will be a great parent if they allow and they're willing to go on a journey. You've got to seek the truth. 
So you got to go on journey, be a truth seeker, find out what truth is in these. Don't take my word for these ideas. You know, seek out your own truth in the matter and let that be your guide. What you'll find is that the more you desire truth in parenting, I think you'll be very happy with the end result. Mm. Michael, dude, keep being yourself. Keep being that kind, patient, loving friend who shows up for his wife, shows up for his kids, and then makes space to let the world see and inspire them. Thank you, bro. Thank you for being a good friend to me, and I look forward to when our paths cross next. Great. Look forward to it, Ned. God bless. All the best. Wow, what an incredible conversation. I mean, I just finished talking with Michael. I have so many notes and a couple things just to read right out of my journal that I'm gonna be taking into things is like, what's the new vision for my family? How do I start to think multi-generationally? How do I think about my job, career, my business, my crafts being something that I can teach to my son, teach to my daughters, husbands one day? What does that look like? Thinking beyond just how to be a dad day to day. And frankly, this could be a little bit overwhelming, but. Also, Michael said, pursue truth, pursue the journey. This is a journey. This isn't just about getting the dad mode down so that I can execute well to then go do what I really want. No, let's make this what we really want. Like what if fatherhood was truly my craft? When I'm on my deathbed, there's no way that I won't look back over my life and be like, I wish I would have been better at surfing or golf or business or whatever. If I can say, I gave it all for fatherhood the way that I love my spouse, the way that I love my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, I'm leaving them with character. Oh gosh, and speaking of character, that statement, don't marry for personality, marry for character. If we start to say that to our daughters and sons now, when they're young, get that ingrained in them. Guys, we have such an opportunity to set our kids up for massive success in their life. It doesn't mean life won't be messy, but I think some of the things that we are okay with being messy don't have to be okay. They don't have to be the standard, but we have to speak life into our children in a different way, which speaking life into, I just love how Michael talked about his kids. They're complete because we say that they're complete. So many nuggets. I'm going to listen to this again. Incredible. Super thankful. This comes down to this little pitch right here for you is like, we got to know who we are. And the world would look different if men showed up in their identity to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect. And that's why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. So check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. Lots to come. It started with a children's book, a children's book that you could read to your kid to help you see who you are, to help connect you to your child. And ultimately, I created it so that you and I, who are already on this journey of knowing who we are, we could invite another man into his journey whether he's got a new kid, a young kid, and we could hand him this book. You could order a gift box for him on adventureoffatherhood.com and just simply say, brother, you have what it takes. I see this in you. And the way that Michael made you feel just now in this 40-minute conversation, you could make another man feel simply by welcoming him into fatherhood with a simple gift. So that's what that's all about. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Obviously, you got to feel that right now. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. Be yourself. Be who you were designed to be. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Mm-hmm.